0: All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Spring Legion Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Ferrier, joining you today alongside, well, on the call, we'll be alongside Terrence Williamson of Rolling Thunder Game Calls. Who's gonna give us a really cool rundown on all things pot calls, uh, friction calls, slate calls, glass calls, whatever you wanna call them. I call them all a slate call. Uh, found out Terrence does too, so uh, that makes me feel a little bit better as we go throughout the episode. We're gonna break down the actual materials of them, what they're intended for, everything from what the heck a soundboard is all the way to where the sound comes out, um, how to condition them, how to use it, which kind of sandpaper, does what, and the kind of methods. They create the best sound and best rollover, and and what you're looking for when you go pick up a slate call. You know what, how to look at the depth of the pot and the the edges of it all the way down to the strikers. What that's going to determine, and how to run them. You know how to pair them up, how to get a loud one, how to get a soft one. uh, What you're really looking for and stuff is going to really help you out in the woods. So this is one of the more informative ones that I've you know kind of come across when it comes to interviews. And and Terrence does an excellent job of explaining it in Turkey Woods. Since he has a you know, he is a competition caller in friction calls. he teams up with the uh, buddy Hunter Wallace over at Rolling Thunder's Well and Um Joker is is good in the Turkey Boys and he you know, he, he is a difference. Those that are just good on stage and those who can translate all that to the turkey boys and knows how, you know, this sounds in the woods and he does a good job of explaining that and, and really, you know, just dives in. You know, we give him a one question and he's able to take it knows exactly what we're wondering what a lot of our listeners are likely wondering and what I personally was wondering so uh, he answered a lot of questions for me and I'm looking forward to uh to hearing some feedback from all that uh that our listeners are able to get from this episode but before we hop on that call I wanted to knock out a few updates as we do every week um if you haven't yet go check out the new uh, really the the first latest release we've had in a while I feel like in in terms of hats and stuff is going to be the original bottomland khaki mesh back um we've got those in they're a structured um fit with a snap you know plastic snap back. they're uh they're on the website as the time of this recording i don't know how long that's going to last it took about a year and a half to get them here and um and this upcoming week we've got uh those vintage tees that uh the, the faded looking the worn out extremely comfortable vintage tees that i'm sure a lot of folks have already gotten but um if you're like me you want a couple of them we've got the short sleeves coming in just in time for the warmer days so um that'll become an everyday wear for a lot of folks out there whether it be uh under you know under a leafy suit or really is i wear mine as a casual shirt so they're they're intentionally faded so they're not the ones you're going to go out there and wear well the short sleeve first off but you're not going to go out there and wear in the turkey boys but um, when it comes to undershirts and wearing around the house and stuff they they look really cool so Glad to get those back. We receive about fifteen DMs asking when they are a day, so um, hopefully this will answer a lot of those uh, wonderings. We got that, and then we've got um, got the giveaway partnering up with our buddies over at Rolling Thunder and and uh, with Nyingua Coffee and and um and uh, all the way down to to at the time we we're we we're expecting a Nomad Vest and a Tristar Shotgun and and a bunch of different apparel and books from Spring Legion's going to be in there and. It's a, it's a really cool little deal. We're going to give you all a few more updates on how to go about entering to win that, I think, at the time, which stuff could still be added. This is recorded on Friday of the week prior to y'all listening. Stuff could still be added, but it's already at over seventeen, eighteen dollars 1800 value, I feel like. So, Um, it's going to be a really big one, and I hope y'all are able to get in on this, and I wish more than anything I could enter it, because um, I would do a lot of things to get a lot of the, the stuff that, that's going to be given away for free. So, um. If, you, if you're not taking advantage of that, I don't know what you're doing. Um, that'll be announced a little more on our socials at Spring Legion. Follow us on Instagram or anything else like that. We do most of our stuff on Instagram. So help us spread the word because um, this is one that that don't come around a couple times a year. This is probably the biggest one we've definitely been a part of. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to getting some more information to y'all as far as that goes. And um, other than that, we're going to be in the turkey woods. It seems to be kind of half half the places that we uh, we tend to hunt or. In it's prime, and half of them are hitting some lulls. So uh, things are greening up uh, nevertheless. So uh, holding on to all the mornings we can, as special as they can kind of come by. So um, appreciating every single one of them. So we hope all of y'all had a very happy Easter and remembered the reason for the season on that part. And um, we will dive into today's guest, Mr. Terrence Williamson with Rolling Thunder. He's going to give us a rundown on everything you want to know about running a pot call. Our buddy Terrence Williamson is here today. He's going to give us a good old rundown on the pot call, or if you're like me, I call I'll pot call slate calls. Um, but I've found that I am not the majority when it comes to that. I feel like a lot of folks call it the pot call, and and we're going to kind of run down on every kind of little rabbit hole we can think of when it comes to uh, the, the friction uh, category of turkey calls today. And we've got a good guy to do that with, one that is – um, Dan good at it and, and knows more about it than than I would ever dream about. So that's that's good because we're going to have a lot of questions to ask him, and um and we're going to see kind of pick his brain on on a lot of different things. So um today, Mr. Terrence, we appreciate you hopping on. Um if you could just give us a little quick rundown on yourself, kind of where you uh where you're from and and how you kind of came to be where you're at right now and all all the way from competition calling to Rolling Thunder. Yes,
1: sir. I I appreciate you letting me be on over. A whole lot of nice things that you said about running friction calls. I don't I don't know if I can live up to all of it, but I'll I'll do my best. Uh I live in West Alabama, not too far not too far down the road from you guys and love turkey hunting. I'm I'm actually pretty sleep deprived right now from, from chasing turkeys over the last month. Oh, we we're, yeah. we're going into Easter weekend, gonna slow down and spend some time with the family. Remember what Easter's all about especially after having a beautiful good Friday like we had today to get turkey for Goblin this morning and we couldn't ask for a prettier day right. a good Friday so um but yeah a little bit about myself I'm 37 living in West Alabama got a got a wonderful family my wife Laura puts up with all my hunting habits and I got two boys a, a nine-year-old and a, a four-year-old and that four-year-old, he's he bouncing off the walls, so he's not ready mm-hmm. to chase the turkeys yet. But I've had my nine-year-old out, out with me this year, so that's been, been real fun. Uh, as he learns more about turkey hunting, he's getting to that age where he, he can actually learn a little bit more about it. and he, He's progressing. and Oh, yeah. We saw that during duck season, and we really saw a big change for this turkey season, so that's been real fun. A uh, little bit about myself on the turkey calling side. I, I started turkey calling in contests, probably well man, man tells how old I am there <laughs> looking back on it I guess about 27 years ago now I was 10 when I got in my first calling contest but I was actually around contests a lot longer than that my dad actually worked for Eddie Salter in the early 90s helping him go around selling calls and working hunting expos in the summertime and mm-hmm. I just tagged along when I was a young kid watching that stuff and being around that and as I got older I finally finally decided I was gonna get into one of the calling contests, and I did and I think I finished dead last in it. <laughs> uh, man I got nervous. I got up on that stage and started trying to run pot calls. Slate calls, like you said, I, that's all I've ever called them slate calls, no matter what the surface is. Yep. And trying to run those in contests, I man, I got nervous, my hands were shaking and I was dead last in that contest. <laughs> but but something about it when when I got up on stage I had a had a fun time just had a blast doing it and it really lit a fire for me to want to try to work harder and get better at it 20 so something years later i'm still plugging along trying to get better Mm-hmm.
0: well it seems like you kind of figured it out along the way i know you you know i kind of came across your name a couple times before we wound up meeting up in nashville uh, this past february uh and a lot of it was um uh, you know from from the the calling competition stuff and seeing you around there and um, and I, that's one thing I wanted to kind of attend as much as I could, you know, just to to see and meet some of these folks that, that, you know, like you said, started from dead last at age 10 all the way, you know, 20 something years later have, uh, finally figured it out to a degree that, uh, is exceptional through a lot of years. And, um, obviously to the turkeys ears as well as y'all do a good bit of turkey hunting and, um, it's just, it's just cool to, to just kind of connect with folks like that. And especially in a realm where, we do have a platform we can kind of get some uh bits of knowledge out to folks who've got a lot of questions and don't have necessarily the outlets to ask um you know i've got a dang good turkey hunter as a dad and i've ran a slate call probably 90 percent of the time as a glass call but i've run it probably 90 percent of the time when i'm in the woods and you know i don't have it you know anybody with the just uh the the years and years and years worth of just honing in on a, a particular type of call i guess to to ask a few things and um We'll dive right into it, man. Um, just breaking down the pot call. I know, like with anything, it's, it's about like an instrument and, and depends on, you know, the the person playing it. I feel like, but um, but just kind of just bouncing stuff off of you um, when it, breaking down the surface to uh, the the soundboard, what all that means, and the the strikers that go with it, and just um, pot call one on one, if you will.
1: Yeah, man, I'd love to dive into all that and to kind of add on to what you said. I was I was blessed to have the same thing. My dad, I think my dad let me tag along with him when I was about four and, and let him, he let me watch him shoot a turkey, mm-hmm. I guess, when I was four. Started tagging along and watching that for several years. And looking back on it, I think he just didn't really enjoy shooting them because I think I was seven or eight before he let me start <laughs> throwing the gun. But, no, I grew up with a dad. He's a great turkey hunter, and I've I've been fortunate enough to watch him shoot a few this year already. So so that's been good. But he he stayed on me to told me if I was going to take the time to to call me a contest, I need to put the time into it to practice. And he was good enough to drag me all over the country. Anywhere I wanted to go, we'd load the truck up, and we'd go and call in a contest through the years. So I had a good one to help me along the way growing up. And as he gets older and slows down, I'm trying to return the favor and start taking him hunting more and trying to trying to call up some turkeys for him so that that's really been fun man that's awesome just going yeah.
0: full circle like that
1: so yeah talking about pot calls man you just whatever questions you got or whatever some Heck comments yeah. you want to talk about you just you ask away.
0: good deal well i guess for starters just kind of breaking down the what the like? So I hear soundboard a lot, and I know that's a a lot of folks. That's kind of a somewhat a beginner's question, but I, for the longest time, I didn't know what the heck a soundboard was. You know, um, I I would think that would sure. mean the surface of it—the glass or the slate or you know aluminum, whatever it would be. But I don't know if that's quite the case.
1: Well, the, the soundboard is actually an internal part of the call, and and I'm like you. I call every call a slate call, no matter what the call yeah. and surface is. This day in time, you've got. A slate calling surface, glass, crystal, aluminum. Some guys even do copper or ceramic. Mm-hmm. But up under that calling surface, you've got a soundboard, and the the material that the soundboard is made from ranges from a wooden soundboard to aluminum, glass, slate. Uh, There's all different materials that, that different companies have tried, but for the most part your soundboard and your surface is sitting inside of a wooden pot Mm -hmm. and there's other, you know, you can, you can buy an injection molded call, your plastic pot calls that are, or a plastic pot that the soundboard is is sitting in and that the calling surface is sitting on. But for the most part, you've got that calling surface and up under that calling surface, you've got a Mm soundboard.
0: And what quite does that determine? Like, so say the soundboard, I hear a lot, you know, slate over glass or something like that, or, or vice versa. Sure. So so what necessarily does that soundboard have to do with it? You know, if I see two class calls and one's, you know, I got a different soundboard than the other, what could I maybe expect, you know, one to sound a little differently than the other?
1: You're going to get some different tones and different pitches from your calls from, you know, it, it's crazy at all the different combinations of your surfaces and your soundboards. If you look at the, uh, the crystal call that we came out with with rolling thunder last year, we put a lot of time that first summer working with those guys, uh, when Spence brought us on board, trying to come out with some signature calls to add to the line, and I really wanted to do a good crystal call, just because that's a good all-around versatile mm-hmm. hunting call and a good one for for anybody to pick up and use. So, when when trying to pick out how we were going to make that crystal, we tried all different soundboards in it as well, and we ended up going with a purple heart wood, and it just that purple heart just the tone. The, the two-note rollover and the yelps, mm-hmm. everything just worked really well with that crystal calling surface and inside that cherry wood pot using that purple heart wood for the soundboard. But you can get a higher pitch or a lower pitch or, you know, a deeper tone if you would have went with a, maybe a slate soundboard. Mm-hmm. Or if you wanted a uh, even different tone than that, if you put an aluminum soundboard in there. Uh, a lot of times you'll see a company do a, a, a double glass, you know, glass over glass, and that gets you a really good sound. So depending on what soundboard that you put under that calling surface, that really determines the pitch and frequency of the sound that's coming out of the out of the pot as you're, you know, applying the friction, as you're applying your striker to that calling surface. It, depending on that surface material and that soundboard material, and also the holes that are in the bottom of the pot and where they're at and how mm-hmm. how everything's lined up, there's so many different components to that that all play their own part in the sound that's coming out of that call.
0: And that's something I was going to ask you, actually, you know, just the, all the way down to little things like the holes – in the bottom of the pot and where exactly does the sound come out of, you know, when it comes to, you know, where you might want to be holding it, where you want to, if you wanted to direct the sound some way, um, which direction, you know, do you want to point, you know, the bottom of the collar, would it be best to cover up some stuff or, you know, how, how might you might do that? That's a little more Turkey woods related. Um, I guess you'd say when it comes to, to trying to project a sound somewhere, but breaking down the, the actual pot part of it, does the depth of the pot matter? Does, uh, um, you know kind of the holes in the bottom i feel like that probably matters a little more than anything else
1: yes sir it, you know all those they all play a part in it and if you if you flip over one of our plots you'll see eight holes spaced out evenly around the, the the diameter of the call and some companies may use more holes or less holes and those holes play a big part of where that sound is coming out once the vibration is made between the surface and the air that's vibration running over that soundboard but the distance that soundboard is from the calling surface which is based on the pedestal height which is a pedestal inside of the internal part of that pot that that the soundboard is resting on that plays a big part in it um, the depth that the pot's drilled out which that's kind of goes along with the thickness of the bottom of the pot depending on how thick or how thin that is it, that really determines how much vibration is coming out of that pot as you're, as you're running that striker over it. So I the, know when we were working on this type deal, we we played with the, the wall thickness, the bottom thickness, the pedestal, pedestal height. We, you know, trial and error, we blew up a few. We'd run them. We either really liked it or there's things that we wanted to change about it. So we would just keep playing with that, changing those dimensions anywhere from a few hundreds to a few thousands and it it really didn't take much change at all to get a completely different sound out of
0: really shoot so i I would think maybe that the the thicker deeper you know you said it kind of controls the vibration so the 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 deeper maybe a a pot might seem to the the common eye might be the a a deeper sound or a lower sound or is it is that even in the same ballpark is what y'all kind of look at
1: that's right if that wall is real thick or if that bottom is real thick it's it's going to be deeper uh denser you know you're getting you are getting a deeper sound coming mm. out you're not the thinner it is the more it'll vibrate uh and, and okay. honestly the height of that pedestal how high that soundboard is from the surface a lot of times you hear call makers talking about opening up a call by by changing the height of that soundboard you're changing the way the air is moving around in there and the way everything's vibrating and coming out and it's it's crazy how just a few thousand can mm. can really change. Mm-hmm. But honestly, that right there, once you figure out the dimensions that you like, just like our mouth calls that Josh is sitting there building one by one, consistency is big mm-hmm. to be able to duplicate that same consistent dimensions over and over to produce every one of those calls right out of the pack that all sound really good. That, that's a big part of, of bringing a, a good product to the market.
0: You're exactly right. And I do have a little bit of experience with tinkering around. With uh, Got like a drill press and stuff in my grandpa's house and picked up all kinds of tools there. And I was going to try to make some mouth calls and slate calls and stuff like that. And that's the first thing I learned was you're going to wind up lucking up and making one that sounds decent. It's the second one that's really, really hard to do. Like you, you I'd grab one and right. like or right, make it again, and like uh, uh-uh. <laughs> it took sixteen tries later to even get one even remotely close, and I don't think I ever made one that sounded like the the one I did get lucky on, so being able to do that consistently is huge, and being able to kind of like you said just kind of telling our listeners you know kind of when you to to the naked eye, if you're not unable to run one, you know if you look at one and it's got the thin walls, you might know it's gonna be a little higher, um you might know it's gonna be a little deeper if it is some thicker, deeper walls like that and and kind of just breaking down, that, you know, what, what it means to say glass over glass, um, stuff like that. I mean, that's that's light years of experience, I feel like, to, to folks who don't, you know, live and see it every day, like a lot of folks that, you know, aren't in, in the industry are able to. Um, but uh, just like, so, like, what would be, if you had to say, what's the, li- like, if somebody's out there looking for a really loud call to break through a bunch of wind or open areas maybe out in nebraska or, you know kansas you know the big fields if you're trying to call across a field corner or something like that versus you know if you're down in a hollow in alabama and you're 80 yards from a gobbler you know you want something that's going to be a little more whiny and soft what, you know what would you look for you know for the loud and then
1: for the soft man normally when i well i'm actually sitting at my truck right now with my turkey vest open up with, with my calls pulled out and when I go to the woods around here or really anywhere, <laughs> no matter where we're at in the country, I'm going to have a slate call in my vest and I'm going to have something that's higher pitched, either mm-hmm. my crystal call like, like the one we're selling now with Rolling Thunder, or I'm really partial to anodized aluminum and I've been hunting this whole year with a, with a new prototype anodized aluminum call we're working on to hopefully bring to the market next year, but to me, like what I use used to use a lot in competition before switching to the crystal and what I'm hoping that we use in the future, this anodized aluminum, is just, it's a higher frequency. And, and and to me, it just makes those turkeys gobble. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a big crystal or aluminum over the years. So if I'm in the woods today, I'm going to have a slate call for that soft stuff to do your clucks and purrs and your, your soft clucks and yelps. And you can always get loud on a slate call as well but it's good to have a crystal or an aluminum to cut through that wind. It's it's so much higher pitched and that higher frequency. I'm more or less using it to locate. Um, I'm I'm a friction caller in competitions, but I love calling them up on a mouse call just as well when I'm hunting. So a lot of times Mm. I'll locate a turkey with a crystal pot or an aluminum pot call to cut, do some excited yelps and try to locate that turkey. And then as the turkey starts coming, switch to a mouse call and, start working them and coming on in and closing with a mouse key. call and it gets close. If I need to do some soft plucks and purrs you got that slate call to do that. But to me that crystal or aluminum is really what cuts through that cuts through the high winds or just carries a long distance to try to try to make one gobble a long way off. Heck yeah.
0: And so breaking down the striker, I know that's in our mind, in my mind at least that's twenty percent of what the call is but i'm sure it's a little more than that it's a little bigger of a deal than just you know you can't just go grab any striker you find in a truck console and expect it to sound like the one you've been using that you got with the actual call that you got um just um just what it means you know harder softer wood um all the way down to is there anything particular about you know if you're looking for something that's going to really cut wind and uh, cut through the wind and, 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 and stuff is going to be a little more, you know, softer on anything geared towards a slate or anything, you know, that the purpose is for, a, you know, I'm about, I mean, I'm liable to have something that was made for a slate call and I'm over here trying to use it with a glass call and then I'm wondering why this glass call don't sound good. And it's really not the glass call. It's the guy operating the glass call doesn't know what he's doing.
1: Oh man. <laughs> well, no, the just actually has just as much to do with the sound that you're getting out of a call as, as the, the surface and the, and the quality of the pot does all different types of wood sound completely different and you know you'll have your harder wood, your your hickories and your let's see I'm trying to dig through the ones I've got in here. Digging through the vest. I've got man, I've got a tulip wood here. It's a little bit softer. Uh it has some really good soft yelps, uh, softer salter clucks. Trying to look at what all. I've got an iron wood a bunch of diamond wood strikers here. I'm trying to just dig through my vest here and tell you what I've got but I've been taking to the woods.
0: I've heard I'm that diamond wood a good bit. Piece of,
1: well, I'm pretty positive of one-piece and two-piece diamond wood. When we first brought that crystal car to the market last year, we were putting a one-piece diamond wood striker with it. And it's a very versatile all around. That diamond wood, I've found that no matter what surface you're playing it on, it you're usually going to get a good sound out of that diamond wood. And this year we we switched up and started putting a two-piece diamond wood structure with the crystal just because just one of those things we kind of found by accident. We started out running the one-piece stuff on it, and it sounded really good. But my diamond wood structure that I use in Kotlin Contest is a two-piece. And after talking to Spence, we just kind of switched it up and made a few two-piece diamond wood ones to, to run on the different pots. And we were just getting them a much better two-note rollover yelp and more consistent cuts and, and clucks with with that diamond wood. So we, we made the change and started including that two-piece diamond wood with my signature call this year. And honestly, if you if you were looking at what I've got laying in the front seat of my truck out of my vest, I've got a couple of two-piece diamond wood strikers and a one-piece. And then I've got some other... I think I've got a maple striker here, and a, a walnut, uh, and, a, and a hickory. And you know, those harder ones like those hickory, you're gonna get that more dense uh kinda of, hickory's good to yelp with, it's good to cut with, it will get that good pop when you're when you're cutting and and clucking. Uh but that diamond was just a good all around striker for, for all situations. But so I'm I'm kinda of partial to it, I guess you can tell from me talking about it, but you know, if I'm switching it up I'll switch and, and I may clucking pur with a maple striker or or a walnut. Uh, I've got one here with a corncob for a top and some kind of really soft wood. Honestly, don't even know what it is or who made it, mm-hmm. but it sounds really good on our slate call when you're doing some soft clucks and the up when you're trying to work that, close, that turkey in on for close range.
0: Heck, yeah, so that's a good rundown on strikers and um, down to all the way from the way you sand it, just kind of run, and we'll kind of wrap it up with how you, you know, the operating procedure's if you will some some things that that matter a lot more than we probably originally thought the direction you sand it um kind of pairing a, a striker with a pot or um all the way down to sure. the moisture how that affects it you know if there, is there something that you shouldn't do um, when it comes to making sure you know you don't want to break a pot out in a you know a high humidity day or if it really does matter
1: I, every bit of that matters and I- when I go to the woods, and I am gonna, I keep referring to what I got in my vest and what I got going to the woods because I think most guys are more worried about what we're talking about in hunting situations anyway. So I've got a one of the conditioning stones, or one of our conditioning sticks that just has the, the little wet rock glued on the end of the stick. I, I keep one of those in my vest, and I'll keep a, two or three different grits of sandpaper, ranging from 60 grit, 80 grit, a 120, maybe even a really fine sandpaper in my vest. I'll have some of the Scotch-Brite pads. I keep a little bit of everything in there, because as you're starting out with that stone, you, you can get, you can rough up the whole surface of the car with it, but it's still pretty rough. So then I'll start out with that stone and rough it up good with it first. Then I'll switch to maybe a 60 or 80-grit sandpaper and and hit everything there to kind of hit any voids any that that wet rock might have missed or you know, get any lines that are in there out. And then from there, I'll switch to a little bit finer sandpaper and kind of start smoothing the surface up from there. By the time I get done with that, I may have the scotch Brite pad to kind of really get everything smoothened up. And then I'll do the same thing with the striker tip, not all the, the coarse sandpaper, but I'll hit a maybe a 120-grit sandpaper on my striker tip just to take off any debris that might be on there from running or call with your striker on your call surface previously. But I do all that before I go hunting. I try to do all that before I ever leave the truck. When I'm in the woods, normally I'll just pull out that Scotch spot pad or some 120-grit sandpaper. As you're calling throughout the morning, once you've called over and over trying to make one gobble, or when you get down working turkeys or in the process of working turkeys, you got to recondition that striker so that it's not slipping on that surface. And, you've also, you know, you got to recondition the surface as well. So I'll just use that finer grit sandpaper that scotch Brite pad just to to roughen everything up along the way. And I'll clean off that striker tip of that scotch Brite pad as I'm calling throughout the morning, just to make sure that that striker grabs on the surface and gets you those good sounds that you're, you're wanting to get out of the call. You, you know, you don't you can screw up on a call and still kill a turkey, but it's still, it's still better if you don't mess up on it. It makes That's you right. feel better about it. And it sounds more realistic. It sounds like a hen when you're – when you're calling
0: good and not not messing it up too bad oh yeah and that's some stuff that i've always wondered not like i said i use a uh, a pot call not probably over 90 percent, honestly unless a, a turkey I'll, I'll i'll roll the dice on a turkey even probably within 100 yards if i can't see him still using one before i I go to a mouth call and if it ain't working then i'll go to a mouth call i don't care if i be, you know if he's 200 yards away i'll swap it up if it, you know if i'm not able to pull one in or he's not making any moves and uh actually the other day um here in georgia had one i was calling to another turkey with a, a i don't know what type of striker i had or what kind of wood it was same same pot call but i'd been you know most of the morning i started i was close to one on the roof and was calling to him he wound up flying to another hollow with some other hens and so i kind of got back up on another ridge and got on the other side of it to um to if nothing else kind of just either see which way those hens were going to go. There wasn't but, you know, one or two ways, you know, that holly kind of split, and that had kind of, you know, kind of direct me to my next setup. I was just kind of, you know, one of them hurry-up-and-wait moments. Um, and then I switched to a to the glass call and, and was using a striker on it and getting him to gobble, you know, keep, keeping tabs on him, keeping tabs on that little flock he was with, and I wasn't trying to necessarily pull him in right there, but kind of every now and then, once the second I knew – you know, kind of the, the path that they were likely going to take because it was going to take me a good 30 minutes to get back over there. Either one I took um, or either one they took yeah. was going to depict kind of where I went. But then in the process, I, sw- I wound up uh, swapping strikers because one of them I didn't think was sounding good. It was the one he was answering to, and it kind of stopped, and I swapped strikers, and one guy, you know, 150 yards on the ridge behind me that hadn't said a word to anything, hadn't said a word to that mouth call, to the the original striker i was using and this wasn't like a 30 minutes he could have slipped in this was like i put it in my vest and pulled out the other one the second i did he gobbled at that one non-stop and i never heard the other one again so um and and it's it's all the way down to how i'm sure one was prepared a little different and i don't i'm not positive they weren't the exact same striker one was just you know been fumbled around a lot more and had a lot more debris in it and one of them didn't
1: you know it's crazy that you say that it and. And that's right. I had almost the exact same thing happen myself this past Saturday. And it's just from one call and one structure to the next, they, they may have a different sound or different frequency that's coming out of them that from one turkey to the next, one turkey may like that high-pitched sound and another may might be partial to your mm-hmm. old rasty mouth call or something because my son and I were working a turkey. We'd been on the since daylight. And he had some hens go to them. He kind of shut up. But after a while, he started back gobbling. He was answering my pot call pretty good and he, he and he quit answering it. And I, I waited a while to see if he was coming and when I realized that he wasn't and he was just cutting, and hanging out the same place, I man, I switched up through a mouth call in and, and cutting it up. First time I did a a turkey gobbled a hundred and fifty yards behind it and mm-hmm. hadn't said a word all morning. So, you know, just changing up the frequency and the sound. One turkey may like one thing and another likes a different and it, that's
0: why it's so good to have such a, a good variety of different calls, anyway. Yeah, and 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 uh, one of the the what I would say dumb question that I don't know the answer to. A couple I had a couple jotted down to make sure we snuck in there before we wrap things up. But one of them was what that you know that that conditioning pad was kind of for. You know, I've I've I don't I was never sure. Do I go through the course? You know, the hard you know redefine this surface, work your way up, kind of like you did every single time. You know, through the you know the different grits of sandpaper all the way down to that you know that conditioning pad type deal i I don't I call them all kinds of different things a little green square um yes, sir. or if it was um you know more of a you, you do it in the truck and then you kind of you kind of just polish her off there um there in the field or in the woods with the with the piner grip um to, to smooth it out just to knock some stuff off but another one was the direction That you were supposed to sand, because, you know, if you read the back of a bunch of pot call boxes, you know, it kind of gives you a good rundown on there. And I don't think I decided to read the back of a package of the things I was going to be operating until I was probably 25. And then I was like, well, I have been doing this a little wrong. Um, It's worked, but not to the degree it might have could have. Um, But is there, how are you supposed, when you go sand or, you know, anything to to condition a a pot call, does it matter how small of a spot? You know, some of them got a little, you know, a nickel size spot. Does that, you know, if you were to sand a whole half, does that change it? And if you were to just go to town, I remember when I was a kid, I, there wasn't a spot on there that wasn't sanded. I, I did the whole thing and I probably wore that glass down to where it was paper thin because after every yield, I had to just do the whole, whole call because it, it, it obviously didn't work. It had nothing to do with my bad calling. It was because it wasn't sanded enough. So that's my only correction I knew when I was about 13 was just to sand it more.
1: Man, I hear you. And I still, Uh, And I think I skipped over that earlier because I think you asked about how I sanded the calls and the direction of it. But, but yeah, if you take that call, like one of our calls, the the way that soundboard is glued in there, I sand across the surface of the call, over the top of of where our logo is on that soundboard, just Mm -hmm. left to right, I sand. Honestly, if you look at, Look at our call in the package. You see that, like you said, like a little nickel-sized spot that we've sanded on that, where the sweet spot should be. But that's just so that somebody can see the calling surface and see what we're working with. It it, it gives you somewhere to run that call while you're in the store mm-hmm. before you buy it. But you're still seeing that it's a brand new call that hasn't been used before. When you buy that call and you get it home, I sand the thing with that. I start out with that conditioning stone that we we're talking about. I'll sand that surface one end to the other if it's a crystal. Rough up that whole entire surface because from one call to the next, that sweet spot could be on the top right on that surface or it could be bottom left. You never know where you're going to find that sweet spot on on each particular call. So I'll take a crystal of glass and I'll take that conditioning stone and I'll rough up that whole entire surface. And I call across the grain. If I, if I condition it from left to right, I'm going to start. Top right on the call, and I'm going to drag my striker across where I just sanded because you're getting the most friction. You're getting mm-hmm. as you're dragging it across there. You're one. You're going to drag it across what we call the sweet spot and get that two note rollover part of my yelp. But you're you're calling across the grain, which is, I mean, but, but what, it, what they call it a, a friction type call for a reason. You're making that sound by creating friction between that strike and that calling surface. So so when you call across the drain, you you're create more friction to to make more vibration to get that sound out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the long lines of what you ask from one piece of material for the calling service to the next, like you said, whether you call it a conditioning pad or a scotch sprout pad, when you're in the woods, that's really, that might be all you have to use to keep your call going in the woods. Uh, you just run that scotch sprout pad or conditioning pad left to right. Just keep roughing that surface up and clean off the end of your striker with it, too. And I'm going to call all over a call before I ever get to the it and try to find where that sweet spot is. Mm -hmm. I may take a Sharpie, and I may mark it somewhere on the edge of the call where I need to be running at just to mark that sweet spot so I can go back to it every time. And I guess, thinking back on it, one of the other questions you asked earlier, humidity and moisture, all that, man, that plays a lot in that calling surface, too. On days of this raining, I may not even take that pot call out of the truck because mm-hmm. uh, cause wood and water, they don't they don't mix real well. No. So a lot of times I'll just get out of the truck with my mouth calls and my gun and see what I can do. Uh, now, there's other, other calls. If it's a plastic pot that you don't have to worry about getting wet and swelling up with maybe like an aluminum or a crystal surface, you can take a plexiglass or some kind of plastic. Carbon, some kind of structure that's not wood, that you might still get some vibration out of a call if it's really humid outside or if it's been raining or still raining. Uh, so that that humidity and moisture plays a big factor in the, the sound that's coming out of that surface too. But if it's raining real hard, it's like I said. I don't want to get my vest wet. I don't want to get all my pot calls wet So half the time. It's just me and the raincoats, my mm-hmm. calls,
0: and my gun. <laughs> yep. And that's all you need sometimes. Um, and especially, you know, the next time, you'll probably be glad you did that. And, I, and I've done that before. And the only time I royally, you know, warped a, a slate call or a, a pot call is the same one I still use. And I had it for years. And uh, I wound up killing a turkey. So I guess in the end, it was worth it. And it was off the roof. So I wasn't in there. I mean, I killed him probably thirty-five minutes since he flew now I was, I was thinking about the, that. That might have been the last true off-the-roost hunt that that I know of that I I set up, and we had one this past weekend where we we hadn't moved yet, but we wound up killing one there. But it took a lot longer. This was, you know, it. There's really only a handful of times I can think of where I set up on a goblin turkey on the roost. He flew down thinking I was the hens that he remembered you know being here last pretty much um and that just don't happen nearly as often as i you know i thought it would when i was younger um but but it was it was raining pretty steady that day and he was gobbling his head off and i kind of got out of the truck in the rain to listen knowing i was gonna get wet might as well just go ahead and do it and i think when i shut my door he hadn't stopped gobbling until i sat down i'm thinking that you know it's it's proved a lot of the things I've said wrong. Cause I didn't think they goblin gobbling rain this good. I knew they'd gobble thunder here and there, but I thought that was shot goblin. This joker sounded like he was lost. Uh, and, uh, and he came in on his strength, you know, and I, I was using the slate call anything there. I think of, you know, just trying to, to, to do how I usually would. And I went back to pick it up the next morning to go hunting. And that joker did not look the same as it did. Um, of course, obviously it didn't make no sound, but I gave it a try. Then I just had to resort to mouth calls like I should have from the get go. But, um, but no, I royally messed it up. For the next hunt, when I thought I was just gonna pop it out and it's gonna look the same, sound the same, and it it definitely didn't.
1: Man, like you said, you killed the turkey, so that's yep. really all that matters. I'll if chalk I it up as a cow. good
0: morning. I wouldn't change it. That's one thing I always say. If it works out and you got a dead turkey should feed, there ain't nothing I'd change, no matter how wild the circumstances might have been, or what it cost. It, you that's know, right. it's always worth it in the end. I feel like when when it actually works out and pans out in your favor, so um.
1: Are you talking about killing turkeys off the to uh, You know, I, I don't know what's up with this year, but for some reason, like you said, most of most of my turkeys I don't kill on that first set off the day, right? It, it's going to be as as we move on them when they fly down mm-hmm. and they start working whichever way they're going to go. It, usually it's after I've set up on them two or three times and, and figured them out before we before yeah. I finally call them in. But I don't know what y'all saw this year, but I guess those first couple of weeks we, we had – four or five really good hunts where turkeys flew down and worked right and came to us just like they were supposed to right off the limb. We were, we were blessed with some good hunts early. Uh, We had Hunter Wallace in town, I guess a week ago. He, he hunted with us for, well, April Fool's. I guess he got in town April Fool's day and hunted with us that weekend and the following, following week for a few days before leaving to go hunt with Spence in Tennessee. And we were, we were blessed with several good hunts just right off the roost and, I've been doing my homework. I knew where our turkeys were, trying to make sure we had him in good shape when he got, when he got here so we could get some good video for the show. Uh, but, man, those turkeys, they acted right. and we flew down and came in, made us act like, made it look like we knew what we were doing. <laughs> and they, they came in and we, we killed a few for TV. But, but, you know, that normally don't happen for whatever reason. Oh. This year, they, they, the first 10 days they worked, Really well. Uh, now it's been a different story since, and I uh, I felt like the turkeys have w- been winning a lot more lately than they did the first two weeks.
0: Heck yeah, yeah. you uh you you learn the longer you do it, just like that. You know, you kind of start appreciating those a little more, because uh, you know you know the tight lip mornings, the the dues are going to be paid as the season goes. Um, that ain't none of them easy. You're just sometimes you get paid up front instead of having to pay up front because this uh it usually it usually always comes back around. The same way if, you know, you can't buy a guy with his first few weeks, first few hunts, and then all of a sudden you you wind up, you know, sitting down on a tree that you had no idea triggers around, and he's in the tree above you and pops down in front of you and shoot him, and you can't help but think back of all the, the silent mornings you had to endure just to, uh, to to look up and get that one. And, you know, like you said, it seems like you know what you're doing real good, and sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. And a lot of times, though, you know, it a lot depends on exactly what you do, this time and the times prior to uh to like you know learn how they work and i know that probably paid a, a huge dividend there you know before hunter got there being able to kind of just have a feel for them and knowing what they usually do and what they wouldn't do and all kinds of stuff that goes in it's just crazy how much goes into to those perfect bruce hunts a little luck and a lot of preparation and, and especially knowing the place man it, it really does
1: and that's there's just so much time and preparation and scouting that goes into it. I start scouting my turkeys the minute the minute deer season's over, the minute I can get on my club and start putting out cameras and start looking around and trying to take the inventory, see, see what we have. Because just like all the talk is right now, we don't have the turkeys that we used to have right. in this part of the world. So we want to manage and take care of what we've got. So we try to do a good job of taking the inventory of what we have and try not to harvest too many off the property. But at the same time, we want to have good hunts for – Right now for us, but we're gonna have good good hunts as our kids get older as well. So, uh, yeah, doing that homework, knowing what you got on your property before season comes in, one you know you know what they're doing and where they're at, but also you know how many you have and you, you know how many you probably need to kill or, or not need to kill off yeah. of the property. So, but all that's what makes the season last year round from from planting stuff for them and trapping for them before and after season to to scouting for them and running cameras. Man, it, it's all part of turkey hunting that just Man, I love it, and I, mm-hmm. I just—I get so consumed with the season, and I, I'm not a real good business owner and probably not a good employee or husband or, or anything else during turkey season. I, I hope I do a good job making up for all that when it's not turkey season because it's easy to get wrapped up in it if you're trying to stay on top of them and know what they're doing uh,
0: throughout oh, yeah. the
1: season. I am talking about, we could do no wrong the first 10 days of season. It seems like we, every time we went, we were in the turkeys and... Since then, I've still been going, but you know, they, they kind of hit that low when those hens are, are doing those things, their thing going straight to the gobblers, and they don't really have a reason to gobble. Yeah. And we're we'll to suffer through that right now, and I'm hoping they'll get back cranked up and we'll have a few more days of some good gobbling and some good hunting before we get on the road and start heading to the north and to the west to try to get after some other ones.
0: Heck yeah, it seems like. It's the same here, you know, as soon as you start figuring out these turkeys, they've also figured out the turkeys, the turkeys have, so they know where the hens are going to go, where they like to be, and where they're going to wind up going to nest, and they like you said, they don't have to gobble as much, you know, Ain't it ain't that they're not there a lot of times, they usually are, they just, they don't need to find the hens, because, you know, everybody's kind of, you know, it's like, you know, you go to work, you gotta, those first few weeks you're figuring everything out, but then you, you learn where everything is, and how everybody works, and that, you know, you you'd better be here a little early on this day, and not this day, and all you know same with class you know you figure out where all your classes are The the it becomes second nature you don't have to call around and ask for folks and and look around and same goes for those birds once they figure each other out they're you know that little lull you mentioned uh down here it is around the middle of april and then they'll everything greens up yeah that's when you start bumping them left and right or at least i do you think they're a lot farther than they really are and you got to bump a few but they are a little more willing to play the game you know as 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 the season hits that last couple of weeks and, and like you said then we pack up and head on head westward and
1: northward that's right yeah i think every year you know we hit that what my dad and i was always called that at mid-april low uh, and it's usually within about a week at the same time every year mm-hmm. we're suffering through here right now but like you said, usually that last week or two everything really picks up and everything's greener, so they may sound like they're farther yeah. away than they really are, and you may bother them sometimes, but at the same time you can move in really close on one. You got a lot more greenery to work with and you know a lot of times they'll act right toward the end and 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 come to the calling a lot better. So I'm mm-hmm. man I'm that yeah, part of the season right now just so we can have fun that last week or two before we do start traveling.
0: Heck yes. It's it's just funny it's just how turkey season works. There's never we're halfway through, we've got the fix, but we ain't got the you know, we ain't cured the kind of obsession or the addiction that kinda of draws you back time and time again. You know, it's you you still do halfway through and honestly towards the, the near end of it, you know, over Mississippi too, um, ending on the you know, the end of April. But there's still stuff to look forward to. You know, you still can't help but look forward to uh the, that, that late season swing they kinda have right there at the end, so that's right, but um, but buddy, I definitely appreciate you hopping on. You you answered a lot of my questions, and I know a lot of listeners' questions. Um, and I, you know, I can't thank you enough for for taking the time to give us a good old rundown on the the pot calls. I think that's a lot of very valuable information and stuff that I'm going to carry in the woods in a matter of hours. You know, tomorrow morning I'm going to be doing a, a few things different so um i definitely know a lot of folks got some good out of it and we definitely wish y'all the best you know as the season progresses and and can't wait to see how good y'all do out you know on the on the little trips and tours y'all take out west and out north and how y'all you know wrap things up over in alabama
1: well i really appreciate all that i appreciate you giving me the time to be on and and talk about friction calls which is something that i do love so much and I appreciate what you've done with with us at Rolling Thunder uh, over the last few years. We've we've got a good relationship going, and we, you know, you start partnering up with like-minded individuals, and and everything just seems to seems to click, and everything seems to roll. So, uh, I appreciate you being a part of all that, being Thank a part supporting what we do, and letting me be on and, and talk about something that I do love so much. And man, I hope you guys have a great finish out the season down this way strong, and hopefully we can all get on the road when when season ends down here. We can keep chasing turkeys and, until they won't let us chase them anymore. And then it'll be time to switch gears and start getting ready for the next season's coming and, and getting back to life. But until then, I hope we all stay consumed with turkeys and, and keep chasing them. And I hope we all have some good luck. So, good yeah. luck to you guys.
0: Absolutely, buddy. That means a lot and we definitely appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, we'll probably see y'all down the road, uh, as we're going to be packing some bags here soon. So, um, that's awesome. And to our listeners, we definitely appreciate y'all listening to the Spring Legion podcast. If you could uh, give us a like, share, or follow when it comes to the podcast, or give us a follow on Instagram at Spring Legion, and uh, we got all the socials. Be sure to to hit all of them up. We got a bunch of cool giveaways, like we mentioned earlier, that are going to be uh, kind of uh, taking part this week. We got a bunch of new stuff coming out uh, when it comes to uh, vintage tees and a few uh, new hats coming coming into play. So um, we appreciate everything that y'all do for us, all the words that y'all have spread, all the good things y'all have said, all the DMs that we've gotten, all the encouragement we've gotten from me personally as your host and from the brand itself. We can't tell y'all how much we appreciate that and all the interaction. This little podcast has derived through turkey seasons, you know, the past couple of them now. So um, the the ones now are just as special as the ones at the beginning. We enjoy hearing from each and every one of y'all. So uh, we wish the best of luck to every single one of y'all as we kind of wrap up the southern seasons and everybody is kind of focusing in on the north and the west. So best of luck to everybody. We hope to hear from all of y'all. Thank you all again for listening to the Spring Legion podcast. We will see you next week.